Welcome to the uh, first BIM podcast. My name is uh, Andy Bourne, Director and, and BIM Recruitment Specialist at Charter and Recruitment. This is the uh, first BIM podcast in the series uh, where we get under the car bonnets of a number of construction companies and see in practical terms how BIM is actually delivered. See what the BIM Level 2 mandate really means, key challenges and highlighting best practice. I'm happy to introduce Gary Fannin, who is Construction Head of BIM, with a well-known large national building contractor, Wilmot Dixon. How are you today, Gary? Yeah, very well. Morning. Morning. Um, yeah, first, can you um, give some details to your background and also you know, how you first got into BIM and yeah, how, how you're here today, really? Okay. Uh, well, my background, I started out in, in production. So I progressed from a graduate engineer to a site manager. And then at that point in time, moved from um, site management into design management. I was a design manager running an apartment for about 10 years. And um, BIM was something that was on, on the horizon. We, we as a department started to understand what it meant to us. I saw it as a threat and an, and an opportunity to business I was working at at the time. And I got, sort of got into it that way, really. Just, just started to learn more, went on a bit of a journey. Um, and it, that's now my full-time role as, as head of BIM for all my days for construction. Okay, and, and just for the benefit of the listeners, before we sort of go into the other the, the BIM information, can you just give a sort of brief introduction to Wilmot Dixon, please? Yeah, so Wilmot Dixon, we are uh, the second largest privately owned construction business in the UK, uh, with three core sort of businesses, construction, Wilmot Partnership Homes and Interiors. Uh, our turnover is about one and a quarter billion. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a nationwide company, so we trade in the UK and in Wales, not in Scotland. No, I uh, see. So yeah. And just, and just as a give an overview of BIM within Wilmot Dixon, how it's structured, how it's managed, how what's the size of the team? Okay, so we when I arrived, um, there was a pretty there's a bit of history with BIM in the business. Uh, before I arrived, they had a central team which provided services nationwide, and it sort of failed to make an impact really there was no real ownership uh, bim was something that people weren't really understanding and they were relying on internal expertise um, so we wanted to change that that uh, sort of structure and we wanted the real court the key change for us was ownership both um, in the regional offices um, so we when i arrived we set about changing the structure that meant that I wanted responsibility. So one of the key things I asked for from the chief operating officers were BIM directors or directors responsible for BIM. So that was that happened. And then from there, each of the regional offices, we then start to recruit a team of BIM people. Um, so BIM managers and information managers in each office to be able to, to, to allow us to support the BIM initiative. And their sort of job really is uh, implementation, training and delivery. No, I see. And just, just for, and also for this, you started in 2014 and so. Yes. Yeah. And, and before that, did you, I mean, when did it, I mean, you said they, ha they had pockets and of, uh, been, I mean, do you know what they were, was it literally just doing a little bit on Revit or what was the, you know, what was the situation there? It was, uh, yeah, it was a, a little bit hit and miss. And obviously, because I wasn't in the business, all I can go on is, is the stories that were told to me that there was a central team we were doing bits and pieces we were doing a bit of clash detection ourselves it wasn't a, a standard approach across the whole of the UK 
So what we set about then was trying to make a, a clear strategy to, to, like I say, to implement and what, what do our BIM managers do? So setting job roles, what does our information manager do? Setting job roles for them. How do they integrate into the business? Um, and how do we deliver? Uh, one of the key things we started to do was push back on our lead designers because at the time, um, a lot of our architects, we said, well, we don't do clash detection. It's a skill we don't have. And in, in, my, in my world, you know, as a lead designer, that's your job. In the old world, you used to mark up some drawings with some pens. I'm not asking you to do anything different, but using some technology. So we had um, a few battles with a few architects who were adamant it's not them because they, they were felt they were very exposed. When you run a clash detection, you can do, deliver up to, you know, maybe 10,000 clashes. And they saw that as a huge risk to them, but we didn't. We saw it as a, it's an iterative process. We, we start on the top 20 and we just continually repeat that process throughout the project. And I think we were of the understanding that we will never ever get a clash free model. We'll get clash resolved and we're comfortable with that. As long as it's resolved enough for us to go and build, we were, you know, we were in a better position than we were in the old world. Sure. So guessing some real process behind, I suppose, the BIM function and also make sure the people know their responsibilities. Yeah, and uh, one of the key things we did as well, we we, um, we used a framework called Scape and we went to visit Scape and we we told them what we were planning on doing and I was mandating it in your, in their framework. And it was quite an interesting uh, meeting because initially they said, well, why, why are we the guinea pigs? If you've not done this before, why would we want to be exposed to that risk? And 24 hours later, they came back and said, why? We're absolutely bought into it. If it gives us a differentiator between other frameworks, we want to get involved. So we 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 used Skate to give us huge traction. So we went from uh, one, let maybe a handful of level two, let's say level two BIM schemes in the in the UK. By the end of 2016, we had 50. So we had huge traction uh, purely because we mandated it. So it, it meant that our supply chain had to react as well. Because we said, if you're an architect working for us in Scape, you need to be able to live a BIM level two. Sure. So it was it was um, it was an interesting year. Uh, we had a lot of pushback, a lot of uh, consultants saying we can't do it, a lot of supply chains saying we can't do it, and we we fully understood that. And um, so we went on a journey of you know not only supporting ourselves internally, but supporting the supply chain externally. I see. And so, I mean, that moves us nicely on to sort of, I suppose, the reality of delivering BIM. I mean, if you sort of review, I mean, I suppose the SCAPE, SCAPE per frame, but it was a school's framework, isn't it? SCAPE is for all sectors. Um, so it's ah, nationwide um, and it's an opportunity for a, a customer to fast track their procurement process. I see. Okay. And so just on the, so the reality of delivering BIM, if you sort of reviewing the, the government BIM mandate, what, what, what has that meant pra in practical terms for Wilmot Dixon? Okay. Um, well, firstly, we needed, um, we needed a, a standard approach to our common data environment. And we were, we were fortunate that we had a, a few localized enterprises that were coming to, a, to coming to their end. And we lobbied around the business and tried to get one platform for all of our business. And that sort of worked. So that was a big tick in the box. We've now got one common data environment that we use in our entire business. So that was a, that was a big win. 
With regards to um, the start of the journey, that's probably where one of our challenges are right now. That as we're aware, 2016 is seen as the BIM, the year that BIM didn't happen, which is a bit of a shame really. And um, they've not really, the government have been tasked here, but have not really impacted on our customers. So we approached them and said, right, we, your project is in scape. We're gonna deliver that through a BIM process. And they go, what's BIM? So we have to we have to support them on that journey. So we have to sit down with them and write their EIRs, and help them understand how this can benefit you know themselves and their FM. So that's the first hurdle is is getting that key document, understanding what information they they want and how we're going to deliver it. Um, second hurdle then is our designers. So many of our designers tell us that they can deliver, but the fact is a lot of them can't. They believe, some of them believe that Revit is BIM and it's not. So we have to sort of educate our, our designers as well and check they can deliver. So this is putting more pressure now on our BIM teams. Now they're not only supporting the uh, customer, they're now supporting the designers. Um, so we get on, we start to deliver, we, we set our stall out, we set our protocols up, uh, we get into contract, we start designing, we start to clash detect, so we start to see value there straight away. Um, and as we go through the process, we're now into dealing with our supply chain, and our supply chain is very similar, probably not the early adopters have been. So we have supply chain who can and can't deliver. So we as a, as a business now are trying to focus on our, where's the, where do we get the biggest impact? So we are approaching our, our structural, um, our steel fabricators, our uh, curtain wallers, where we'd have the biggest impact to give more support. So yeah, we, we are getting hit and miss really with the supply chain. Um, what is quite positive is I've, I've been around the business, I've been auditing our level two projects to check we're actually saying what we're doing. And, and we are, we are processing information. We are using workflows in our accommodator environment and our accommodator environment is not a dumping ground of design anymore. Information is being processed. So there's an education there as well that our customers need to understand that you know, they need to push information through gates as part of their approval process, that our team need to understand, our internal site team need to understand that that's an important place now, it needs to be well maintained, uh, good housekeeping to keep that environment. Uh, it's like a sausage machine, you just keep pushing information through and once it's published, you've then got access to go build it. Um, and then the, the final part is obviously the, the, the delivery of, um, of our project information model. Most of our customers are going, okay then, are you gonna put it on a disc for us? Well, in the new world, no. So we want you as a, as a customer, ideally, you need to keep this information fresh. So we would suggest you have uh, your own common data environment to, to keep this information fresh so you can create your own asset information model. And a lot of them go, well, we haven't got any money for that. So there is a, there is a problem at the back end we are offering our platform to our customers as an option for them. We, you know, we, we're keeping the information in the one place. You can take ownership of that enterprise and keep it for yourself for the life of the building. And then obviously with delivery of Kobe, Kobe is, is not the easiest of things to deliver. Most of our customers don't really want it, to be brutally honest. Um, their FM providers are not sure what to do with it, but we are delivering it. We are setting out a list of Kobe deliverables um, and we're using like maybe some third parties to help us deliver that, the likes of CoBuilder, purely because of the admin time of, of producing all that information. 
So it's it's almost, almost sounds like sort of education of clients and, and your supply, supply chain. Let's know what then what you have to do then internally to sort of train up all the sort of site teams. Yeah, no, it's been absolutely a one massive, massive learning journey for the whole business. And don't get me wrong, it's not been perfect. We've made mistakes along the way. And to be honest, the, the business is quite acceptable. We are going to make mistakes. We are going to stumble and trip. But the fact we've mandated it and made a really positive um, stance on that has paid dividends because we've now got, well, within, well, all of our business now can hold their heads up behind, okay, we can deliver level two and you know, I'm going around and checking that we, we're saying what we're doing on the tin and we are. So we're in a very good position now for what's the next thing. We, we, we've got significant traction delivering level two. We've got significant volume of level twos in our business. We're educating our customers, our supply chain and our people on the way. So we're now looking at the next thing. And it's quite interesting. I'm going around the business now talking to them about um a plan, a four-year plan. What do we? What um, drilling more into our internal people? What do our estimators do today? What do our QSs do today? What do our build managers do today? And what would we like them to do in four years' time? And it's been quite interesting that we're still not generating the appetite. BIM is sometimes seen a little bit away from the coalface. So what we're starting to think about is a digital pod, somewhere to go and generate some excitement. And it is probably a little bit of overselling, but some of our directors say, we want to get excited about BIM. We're not interested in structured data, that's boring. We're not interested in common data environment, that's a bit boring as well. What we are really excited about is seeing 3D models on screen and playing with them. Can you make that happen? And we, we're now all of our BIM managers, and I think I've been around in the construction, four of the boards out of five, and they've all sort of said, yeah, we sort of see the value in that. But we don't want it in the office. We don't want it stuck in a room. We want it out on site where the site teams can go and have a look at what a 3D model looks like, interact with a 4D model, interact with a 5D model, put some VR goggles on and experience that, that future world that we're on the cusp. And it's all about at the minute, our, our plan is to one, generate the excitement and then capture it and then go deliver it. Have you been able to demonstrate actual benefit? To, is there any sort of um, examples, project examples where I know BIM's improved the design coordination of oh, our project. Absolutely. Is there some... We've got some great examples where we've got two, we've delivered two projects for Birmingham City University on the first scheme that the architect had a team of 10. The second scheme, the same size, delivered the same, same timescales, his team went from 10 down to six. So there's like a 40% efficiency in a large practice and a large job. You know, our, our risk profile on our jobs now, now we are clash detecting, is dramatically coming down. We are, and we've finished a quite a large scheme recently in uh, Exeter for the Met Office. And I spoke to the team and they, you know, asked them, how did it go? And they went, great, we didn't take anything down. I went, there you go. So we are starting to think about measuring it in, in a bit more detail. Sometimes it's a, it's a bit subjective because in the old world, you might have found some of these issues. And um, so it, BIM doesn't, isn't a, a black and white fix of everything. But we are starting to think about how we measure it a bit better. So we are looking in the background how we measure efficiencies in time, in, in defects, in cost, in quality, in health and safety. Because um, like I say, we're very at the very, only the very start of this journey. Um, and we're not delivering anywhere of the efficiencies that the government's saying 20% and it's, it's um, 
It's not anywhere near that sort of level, but we are starting to think about how we put some metrics in place to measure ourselves against non-BIM projects and BIM projects. Oh, I see. And you, you mentioned about the, the um, in four years, where so is, is this more in terms of what the job roles and, yeah. and feeding this is so it's not just there's not just a bim no the bim manager no. it's going to be in throughout all the yeah, different sort of bin manager anymore this is we've got seven journeys in there so we're, we're going to take people on and we've grouped people that are our estimators all our pre-con surveyors all our build managers and we say what do they do today and how where would you like them to be in four years time and it's a little bit of do we push or do we actually do a little bit of um, generate an appetite and get them excited and they say, well, we want to be having, you know, body tech. We want to use that because it's the future. We want to have, be able to be really efficient using tablets. So we, we've got, we, we've bought, we've heavily bought into uh, FieldView, which is a great piece of kit. And, it, you know, FieldView today delivers anywhere between four and six hours efficiency for every user because they are more efficient using a tablet out on site. That, that piece of technology will improve where we'll see a lot more efficiency delivered to the tablet and it will deliver anywhere between one and two hours a day. So these are metrics we can start to measure and deliver more efficiency to our build managers and get them more excited about technology. And, and body tech and drones uh, and scanning are all technologies we're going to start to use our digital pods to experiment with and just work out what's right for us. And, and have you got a digital management system sort of fully integrated with all these um, functions? Or is that is that what is that that's, that's where you want to go? dream ticket? Everything talks to everything. And what it doesn't at the minute is there are we are forcing pieces of technology to talk to others. Um, but no, well, uh, we are getting better at it, though. We, we are realizing we, we need uh, less duplication in our business. And there is our IT department who are, who are actively trying to reduce the numbers of platforms we've got within the business. So that is starting to happen. No, sure. And did, did you see, um, is there a difference in buy-in in terms of, I mean, you've got any one time you've got graduates coming through, you've got, I suppose, more a bit more techie savvy minded, you, you've got your boards, you've got, since you've been there in 2014, there's probably a gradual um, uh, increase in buy-in, yeah. Just, just how, how, on a cultural level within Walmart Ducks, and how, how's that, how's that been for you it's, um, selling beer? It's interesting, actually. I've been doing training, and the, the the legacy that has been left isn't probably the best that we've. And my my bronze training is called BIM therapy, where people come and just vent at how how badly we've done it in the past. But the appetite in the in the business is is a bit hit and miss. Depends who which team you speak to. I've spoke to we've got internal strategic teams, so I've spoken to maybe our pre-con strategic team, and they're very very you know their appetite's huge. We should be doing so much more. Our competitors are doing so much more. But when you speak to some of the other teams, they're a little bit more conservative, and it's about pitching it the right level, and it's about getting buy-in from the board, saying this is what we want, this is the vision inspiring our people and then setting them off on a journey and just giving them support along the way. We need to make the technology simple. If we can't use it on site, there's no point using it. So we've, I'm very conscious about keeping it nice and simple, providing a benefit and the technologies, I think the way they will be designed in the future with lots of apps 
will will allow us to do that. What we don't want is very heavy. Uh, a lot. I mean, a lot of the the BIMs suffer the likes of Celebris uh, and, and 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 the Revits and the, and the Navis works of this world take time to learn. But a lot of our site teams don't have that. So the technology we offer to them has to be really slick and really easy to use and intuitive. And in terms of, I mean, where do you see it? Say 10 years, 15 years, do, do you see this sort of revolutionising the construction industry or is it just getting it slightly more efficient, slightly tweaking it? Where, where do, you know, what's the, what's the, what do you, where do you think the reality is? That's an interesting one. <laughs> um, well, if you look at well, ten years time, we've we've, we've hit twenty twenty five. So there's there's the, the digital built Britain, which has some uh, very very well stretched targets in there of, of reduced carbon, reduced time, um, improved productivity. For our industry, and our industry is going to go through a bit of a, a rocky patch, I think, with with the whole Brexit issue, with the fact that we can't get decent trades anymore. Um, we're not attracting our the younger generation to our industry. It's a huge problem. We 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 actually I believe we need to resell ourselves. Um, we we recently went into a into a grammar school to talk to them about construction, a girls' school, and they were, they just couldn't understand why we were there. Well, why are you here? Our, our girls become lawyers and doctors, and. We, we, we taught them about the opportunities for women in, in our industry and, and then sort of suggested what salaries they were getting, which sort of changed their mind, really, because a lot of our women earn a lot more than lawyers. So it, it, we, we have a huge, I think the government really needs to go back to the drawing board and attract people to our industry, but not just professionals, but trades as well. There's not enough of that going on. And when you look at the TV continually, you know, army, be the best. You know, there's there's navy adverts. They don't have a problem now with recruitment because it, it looks exciting, and we need to do the same for our industry. They need to get together and rethink this. Um, so yeah, um, we do have some challenges ahead. What does the future look like? Um, we have to go move into offsite manufacturing to, to deliver anywhere near the productivity that is suggested by Digital Built Britain. We need to attract more people to our industry. We need to attract more tradespeople. We need apprenticeships to be a really key driver. We need to incentivize our supply chain to do that. Um, and we need, to, I don't know, I think historically, um, why did the apprenticeship schemes fail in, in, in the last time around? I think the apprentices weren't treated very well. And as soon as their apprenticeships was complete and they got a certificate, someone offered them some more money and they left because they were treated quite badly. So four years of making cups of tea doesn't do any, anyone any benefit. So I think there needs to be an initiative about giving them a quality experience. Uh, and we've, I think as a business, I think we're very conscious about the environment that we work in. And we need to change that perception that people are up to their knees in mud all day in construction because we're not. We, we are, you know, a very professional industry and i think that needs to be pushed right at the junior school level sure and and it's sort of coming to comes to a close i mean what do you think the uh i said um uh, key takeaways from from this you say particularly with regard the uh delivering a bin what what would you yeah what would you say the, the key things are um it's it's interesting it's in our industry and this is me 
we we look for opportunities not to do things and that's not just BIM that's that's everything and um, the fact that we mandated it didn't give people the excuse to say we can't do it and it sort of worked it's not been the easiest road to go down but it's sort of given us a huge amount of traction and a huge amount of exposure and a huge amount of learning if we were to wait for the mandate well the mandate's here and 2016 is the year it didn't happen we'd be in a much worse position and um, i think the government task team have sort of failed to sell it badly um, if you go and have a look at the the, the bib level two um, website if you're a customer which is where the big need is it just says go and read two standards so they've failed on a massive scale to inspire our customers to want to do this there was a lot of no well there was a lot of noise but the noise in the wrong areas so they've sort of left us with a bit of a legacy of we now have to pick up where they've left off so the uh, uk uh, uk bim alliance is sort of picking that up and trying to generate some generate a bit of a groundswell again around the government mandate because it's it's just hasn't happened um, I think if, if I look outside of my framework, I've got about 25% at level two, when it should be in theory a lot higher. And they just, I think, have failed to go and really speak to customers and, and get them to buy in. And you said, and this um, lack of buy-in, do you think it's in terms of the complexity or they just haven't done it yeah, in, so in layman's terms? What they did was wrote a lot of standards that no one, in fact, the only people who've read all the standards are a lot of BIM managers so they failed to communicate what it is properly what they should have done was stopped and got a third party in and said right we've got an initiative it's called bim we're quite technical but most of our customers aren't can you communicate our strategy in your language and I, I, well, i've had a bit of experience about this i we created some e-learning internally and i sat down with the we did it in a cartoon style because i wanted to make it more exciting and I started to talk to them and they said, stop, we don't understand the word you're saying. You talk, we'll interpret, and then we'll create a message around that. And it was quite clear that the, the BIM people have, have gone so technical, they, they've failed to communicate in a really simple language. And I think that's where they should have stopped the initiative before the mandate landed and said, right, we need to go and communicate this to in a really simple, simple message that, and repeat that message from a single point. Um, and then go and inspire our customers to want to do this and i think that's where we're now picking up where they sort of left off so yeah it's 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 it, it can be a bit frustrating at times but that's where we are we're, we are forging ahead we are marching on and um we, we're getting some really good stories coming back from our teams um and my job is now to try and capture that and good stories and inspire the next the next step, which is our sort of digital revolution, our digital strategy. We're going to try and drop the word BIM because it's not a great word. It doesn't really represent what we're trying to do. Um, so yeah, there's a few things going on in the background with you know support of my BIM managers. We're going to really try and change how we do things in the future. No, great stuff. Well, look, thank you very much for your time, Gary. Um, I'm sure everyone listening had, thought it was very interesting and also refreshing hearing what it's like on the front line rather than just uh, just looking at 
what the PAS says effectively. Um, uh, but yeah, thank you very much, Gary. And I hope everyone enjoyed that. Um, uh, yeah, and uh, my name is uh, Andy Bourne from Chant Recruitment. Thank you very much for listening. Okay, thank you.